Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. We like to talk about movies, sports, and other general stuff. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. And today, for some reason, we're going to talk about the government. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening, yo? Not much, yo. Not much. Regulated utilities are like the worst. <laughs> like anybody who's living in Florida or who lives with a regulated utility, don't worry. FPNL or whoever your regulated utility is bleeping your eyeballs out. Like that's just what they do. <laughs> like they're required to only make like twelve percent profit or however much the public utility commission sets. Uh-huh. But they still have a rate that they charge and they have to, you know, forecast and prove that rate out and it gets voted on, right? So they charge a certain rate for the electricity. Well, any money that gets brought in from that rate charge to the customers that is over twelve percent can't be profit. So it gets put back into the system. And so you end up with like just ridiculously, it's called gold plating the system because this is exactly what AT&T used to do too. Right. They find ways of hiding the money to say that it's not profit. It's not even hiding the money. I mean, they spend it. By hiding, I mean, they come up with excuses as to where the money's going to go. It's just like non-for-profit hospitals. They're like, oh yeah, we're not for profit. Okay. So you're just going to start shoveling money to this person, that person, buying up this, that, and the other thing, you know? In reality... That what they should be doing is a non a nonprofit or not for profit hospital is reducing what they charge the customer. <laughs> right. So I mean, it's not so much that the regulations. The problem is that there's a loophole that's the size of a freight truck in the process. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I know you'd be wrong. It's not like the regulated utility isn't doing anything illegal. They're charging a rate that that was you know approved. Right. <laughs> Part of the regulation should also be an honest audit of what they're using that money for and whether or not they actually need it. Well, so that all gets brought up in rate cases, and then it's you know it's the company versus who whatever organizations are trying to disprove the company's case about the rate, and right. It's up to the citizens to get involved, which generally means nothing happens. Right. Because <laughs> as angry as like two or three citizens are, the other 10 out of that bunch just are either too busy or they just don't really care that much. Yeah. That's how democracy works, folks. <laughs> you have a couple people who have ideas that are opposite of each other or different from each other who yell at each other a lot, try to convince other people that they're right, and the vast majority of the people just don't care. <laughs> you think that's because it's up to the people, but. See, the reason why people don't care is because that's what they believe the government's for. If you're going to say you're going to regulate it, then that's the point of paying the taxes and having those regulations. That the entity is supposed to cover for you. That's why you're voting for them and paying them. So the philosophy of government regulation comes from the turn of the century, effectively. Mm -hmm. When businesses got really, really big. And you have the whole... You know, trust busting under Teddy Roosevelt and and that sort of stuff going on beforehand. The industries were regulated more or less by lawsuit. Right. Like if they did something wrong, then somebody sued them, and then that set sort of the precedent in the judicial arena on what they could or couldn't do. The other option, which is more or less what we have now, is creating government bodies to regulate industries. The problem with that is you have to create a bureaucracy and you have to fund that bureaucracy and you have to be able to regulate. And the vast majority of regulating entities don't do a very good job. Right. They're either underfunded or don't work well or both. Right. (laughs) Like the two that work are the NRC and the FAA. 
And that's about it. <laughs> like, like all of our other regulating entities. The funny part about that is, is that a lot of times, like people get these political science degrees and they go, that's a useless degree. But what if you use a political science degree and a program to fix that, to go, okay, this is how regulations are supposed to work and government agencies are supposed to work. Basically, poli-sci becomes a, a minor to a major, which would be, say, in your case, you know, like an electrical engineering degree with a poli-sci minor to it. That way you could go work for a regulatory agency. Yeah, that's fairly common. I guess that's more like an ideal than common. Mm -hmm. You have guys who work in industry for 20 to 30 years and then go become regulators. Mm -hmm. What actually happens more often than not you get guys who come out of school and manage to worm their way into the government system and then become regulators. Right. Or you get guys who come out of the military. And because they come out of the military, they have basically first crack at government jobs. And so they come out of the military and go become regulators. And then they spend their time as a regulator making contacts in industries so that when they retire from the government after their 20 years, they go get a cushy consulting job in industry. So it actually works completely opposite <laughs> the way you'd want it to work. <laughs> right. I guess like, kind of the point I'm, I'm getting at here is it's much like we're saying that we need more people trained for vocational jobs, that we kind of also need people to do, you know, regulatory jobs, you know? I'm actually not convinced that the current system is fixable. I don't know. I mean, I think that our system allows for it to, to be fixable in, in just about any case. It's just the, the pains that it'll take. What we lack isn't so much a system that, that can't be fixed. What we lack is the courage to, to go through the pains of fixing it. When people talk about the old days, social values were a big thing in politics. And now that's not talked about at all because nobody wants to put themselves in a place where they can be pointed to compromise themselves just so that way they can get what they want. You know what I'm saying? Like I agree with the first part and the second part of that sentence, but I don't agree that they're linked. <laughs> I think what you mean by courage is desire, mm -hmm. and what you mean by pain is money. Because the reality is, if you want an effective regulating government, and government is 50% of the economy, we would have a government that was maybe 65, 70% of the economy, the entire economy. And so you're effectively just paying people to watch other people do work. And that's a hard sell, it, because... The people who are paying those people effectively through the taxes are the ones who are doing the work. So why do I really want to pay a guy to look over my shoulder? To look over your shoulder, per se, because of other people who can't be trusted that that person's necessary. Yeah, but what if I what if I feel like I can be trusted, so I don't need anybody to look over my shoulder? Let's put it this way. When your siblings do something bad, your parents don't just look over their shoulder. They look over your shoulder, too. Why? Because you're all in the same boat together. Yeah, but you could also spin that analogy in that if you have more than two siblings, so in this case, if you have like two parents and 10 kids, then the ability of the parent to look over the, the shoulders of the children is rapidly diminished, right? So they spend all their time with like the problem children or the, or the ones who are potentially problematic, which is exactly kind of the system we have. We have very few parents and a whole lot of kids. The problem is the amount of money I think it would take to get more parents <laughs> in this in this analogy is substantial, I think. And I don't know if you can run an economy on regulation. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think the regulation model is probably better than the lawsuit model. But I just, it just doesn't seem to be doing a very good job either. And throw more money at it. I always have to question that, especially when the government's concerned because the government is 
pretty phenomenal at not doing very efficiently with the money we give it. But apparently neither are the company. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they are. <laughs> but then again, when I'm buying from a company, it's a choice, typically. Not when it comes to utilities. Well, yeah, when it comes to utilities. But see, that's that's the thing. In Texas, it is a choice. Like, I, I pick who my utility is. Sure, but I've never heard of a glaring case of one electrical company versus another being better ethically. Oh, oh dude, you got to look that up. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're out there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Just go to, like, the Power to Choose website and check out the ratings and, like, read the reviews for the various uh, power companies. The little experience that I have with choosing those companies and that system, and it's only happened to me once, but I can imagine that it happens to plenty of people throughout Texas, was when we paid for the electricity, when I was living with Trip, Jan, and Travis, we paid for electricity to a brokerage company who didn't process our payment correctly, and they turned off the power, and it took a full 24 hours to get it back on. Yeah, that would be an example of a not terribly ethical company. <laughs> well, because we had to go through a brokerage to get to the main company and all that nonsense. Yeah, if the concept there is that a regulator having more regulation or, or not even... See, and that's, that is part of my problem with a lot of regulation is a lot of it's just not enforced. Like, we, everybody screams that the answer to a lot of problems is we need more regulations on those problems. And the reality is if you're not enforcing the regulations that are in, in effect currently, then writing more regulations isn't going to fix the problem. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I agree that they do have to be enforced. And that's where I'm saying you could put more people into the program to make it more enforceable. Therein lies my problem because these people are, you know, government employees and the government makes its money from taxes. And so the people who are paying the regulator are paying to have their, you know, somebody watch over their shoulder. I have very little problem paying the government to train somebody to defend me if we get invaded. I don't have a problem with paying for defense. There's some things I might have a problem with depending on what we're paying for in the defense system, but for defense in in general as a concept, I don't have a problem with. Like the main reasons for government, I don't have a problem like with paying for firefighters or paying for police officers, but there's a certain level at which I do have a problem. Like if we have 10 times as many fire stations as we need, then I have a problem with that. <laughs> you know, There's a balance you have to strike, and granted, we're on one side of that balance. Well, yeah, that's called being involved and being honest. I mean, so that's where social values come into play here. You have to be honest to a fault and actually be willing to make change despite who it might affect. Because here's the thing, you're talking about paying for defense and what we pay for it to. The biggest reason, though, why we have as much invested into our defense is because after a certain point during World War II, towns became and completely dependent on the military industrial complex and nobody wants to put people out of work right which was the very thing that eisenhower's warning people about yeah basically once you put your hands in the pie or once the government gets into the business they're never going to get out <laughs> right but you know here's the thing though is that you got to look we don't need these things so we're going to have to cut them yes people are going to be out of work but American ingenuity and uh, the American workforce is, should be resilient enough to find work. Right. The, the problem is I don't think you can get elected <laughs> running that line. I think you used to be able to get elected running the line that you were going to reduce government, but I don't think you can anymore. And I'm actually not certain you could have before. Well, not necessarily reduce government per se, but well, then you get into the debate of what's necessary spending. And again, what necessary spending is, you have to be honest. I mean, do we need to be paying people to still make M16 rifles when we don't use them anymore? Yeah. Which I'm using that as an example. I, I can't say that for certain that that does happen. I'm 
I would be amazed if it does. <laughs> well, and a lot of the stuff in the defense industry is getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, defense is part of it, and the other parts are like Medicaid and Medicare. I guess those are the three big dogs, or three sacred cows, as I've seen them portrayed. And then you have all the other stuff. But nobody wants to cut, like, cutting things never looks good in optics. Like, because you're always, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's always going to do a humanitarian story piece about how you cost this city its livelihood and all these people are out of jobs. Or Michael Moore's going to show up and run a, a documentary about how you killed all these orphans with your bare hands because, you, you know, you you decided that maybe we don't need to to subsidize this industry or maybe we don't need to subsidize the farms or maybe we don't need to subsidize Medicaid or Medicare, you know. No matter where you go, no matter what you try and cut, mm-hmm. somebody's going to throw a flag and say you're killing people, and then mm-hmm. then you're out. And so, that, yeah, I feel like very much we're more or less on a runaway train, and we are because we keep spending more money than we have, and we we just keep spending more money than we actually have. So I don't know what the endpoint looks like, but it can't be good. <laughs> well, you got to think about it like this too, though. One of the things that holds us strong, though, as far as spending money that we don't have and borrowing money from people is that we tend to be the world's largest source of consumers. So no one's going to call in their best because they're going to be like, well, then if they go bankrupt, they can't buy our stuff. I mean, we are, but I don't know how long that holds out for. A large portion of China has more or less started to come up to speed on on consuming ability uh-huh. in India as well. I mean, I think... India has a lot of problems. I think if India could get out of like the corruption game, mm-hmm. they would be the real superpower to worry about. Well, that's both India and China. Yeah. Well, China has more than just corruption. Like even the non-corrupt yeah. people in charge in China are frightening. <laughs> like, like. See, that's what I'm saying is, is that at least here we have a, a strange balance with that kind of sort of thing there they just accept it here we don't accept it but you gotta really dig for it sometimes you know no i actually i'm gonna say no i don't i'm not sure i understand <laughs> <laughs> what i'm saying is is that typically we do try to stop corruption as much as we can when it's late you know yeah whereas in the other countries that we mentioned before it's just how you do business right yeah Oh, you you want police protection? You have to pay extra for that. Like, right. so we'll keep money on hand in case you get in a car accident, so you can pay off the cops. <laughs> right. Whereas here, you know that yeah, that used to be a thing. But the problem was, is when cops got caught by the right people, they went down. They went down hard. <laughs> right. So I, I would say we're better at it. Right. But I, I I don't know if we're good or not. I don't know. I mean, good I guess would be no corruption. And I just every every time you build a bureaucracy or you make it bigger. There's just more, and and that's the craziest thing to me because the reason you have bureaucracies is to try and fight corruption. Like the whole reason a bureaucracy exists is typically to make sure that the people who are getting money are the people who are supposed to get money or <laughs> more or less. Like that's what it fundamentally comes down to for, for a large portion of it. it. It seems like the bigger you make the bureaucracy or the more detailed it is, the more corrupt it gets. Well, the thing about bureaucracy, though, is at least it's easier to see the problem. If you don't have that bureaucracy, then it's just going to happen, and there's no mechanism to to fighting it. The only way to do it without a bureaucracy is a kind of anarchy kind of stuff, and that eventually devolves into Hatfield-McCoy kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, I know, I I understand. Like, so far, that's the best way we've come up with attempting to stop corruption in large organizations, but it just, it still doesn't seem to work terribly well 
I mean, it works. It's it's sort of like the quote about democracy, right? It's the it's the worst kind of government ever, except for all oh, of the yeah. others. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's the best we've got, but I I still wish we had something better. <laughs> That's one of those things too, though. Like people go, "Wishes were horses, we'd never walk again." I like Jane Cobb's version of that. <laughs> if wishes were horses, we'd all be eating steak. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that, and I was like. People can always give me funny looks, so I think I'll, you know, because <laughs> the way he says it, it's just so like vehement in the moment, and you kind of like pass on it, and like you don't, you don't until you like quote it later. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose my big thing is is when people talk about government about how how bad it is. It's like. Sure, but all you're going to do by saying that is depress yourself and not want to help try to fix the things that need to be fixed. You always get the sense when people talk about that, that they just want to throw their hands up and say, okay, uh, I'm just going to let it burn. And it's like, but that doesn't help. (laughs) Right. If you want things to change for the better, you do have to be involved at some level. And just trying to completely tear down what there is now when... What we have now is certainly better than what other people have. I don't know if it's better. It's different. <laughs> it's it's very different than the majority of democracies, but it's very compromise based. You know, and if we were to try to write the Constitution in the modern era, I'm not sure it would look anything like what they came up with before, because the compro- the reasons for those compromises don't necessarily exist anymore. Right. For instance, slavery. Slavery. Well, legal slavery doesn't exist anymore. Sadly, as a public service announcement, in America, there are more slaves now than there were when slavery was legal. Go out and stop human trafficking. Right. Yeah. Which is... (sighs) I gotta admit, every once in a while when I hear those statistics, I think to myself, you know what? I bet me and my friends could become bounty hunters. (laughs) Let's go kill some people (laughs) who are trafficking other people. Let's go kill some bad people. Without a doubt, the world is a bit more complicated than it was before, but that's because it's more joined than it was before. Yeah, used to not be able to communicate with people across the world very fast. Mm-hmm. And it was easier back then because you could call somebody a liar and everyone would generally agree, yes, that person is lying. Because you couldn't, without a doubt, prove it. You worked with what was possible to know, to find out the truth. Now you have to have hard proof. And people do such things in such a way that they go, well, it's technically. Yeah. And you're just like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, it technically wasn't sexual activity. This is going to have so many problems later on. <laughs> right now, I'm rolling through the wind farm of Indiana. Are you are you actually in a wind farm? Oh yeah. It's a good time for my anti wind farm rant. <laughs> I suppose, but I should tell you, I'm getting pushed around here on the highway right now pretty good. So. Oh, no. Like, the wind's there. Don't get me wrong. The province, <laughs> so are the birds. And wind wind turbines have a tendency to kill those. Yeah, well, if they were smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, effectively, we're darwin darwin out the stupid birds. Well, okay. Let me tell you this. It's not exactly like these windmills are on top of each other. It's not like it's a wall. You know, <laughs> no, I know it's not. It, they, it, look, I'm, I'm just saying they, they kill a lot of birds, <laughs> and they're not subject to the environmental laws that protect those birds. Well, apparently, so do house cats and airplanes. Yeah, I'm just saying every other industry, but them gets uh, they get away with it. So, but now I know the real problem is the uh, unreliability. So you have certain certain parts of the country where it always blows. 
but those are pretty yeah. small. And typically, they're not highly peopled because people don't like living in constant wind speed. <laughs> so, yeah, you can make a lot of power potentially with a lot of wind farms, but but to transport it. Yes, for people who don't realize, it does actually cost money to transport electricity. You lose power as you go along the line. And the second part of that is these things do have to be maintained. So it's not like you know, everybody says, oh, it's zero cost after you install it. It's new. No, you have to pay a guy to go out there. No, it all has to get maintained. I mean, solar, nuclear, it, it, it's something that generates something else. It's a factory, essentially. And so, yeah, it has to be maintained. Nuclear power plants have to be maintained. Coal plants, solar farms, they all have to be maintained. Yeah. The biggest problem with wind, though, is at least the wind farms we have right now, they work on very limited zones. Like if the wind gets too low, it doesn't work in a zone. The wind gets too high, it doesn't work in that zone. It only works in a, in a nice little span. Mm-hmm. And it's as forecastable as the weather. And the problem with that is everybody who uses electricity wants to be able to turn their lights on whenever they feel like flipping their switch. Right. And so when you depend on a natural process that is not forecastable like wind, you don't have the ability to provide reliability. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a question of, are you okay with having an unreliable electrical network in order to have your, you know, electricity produced by wind or solar for that matter? Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that storage isn't a thing. Like electricity storage is extremely rare. Like there are some, there are, including my company that's building large battery uh, facilities, but the, the amount of battery power per square foot is is ridiculously small. Right? We're building these monstrous facilities and just chocking them full of batteries and they produce they, they can store very little power. <laughs> I think if we if we solve the storage solution we might be able to do a whole solar thing just because, you know, the sun doesn't go at night, so you don't get any solar. You usually get a lot of wind, but then again nobody really uses much power in the night. So it's effectively a reliability issue. And the wind is much worse than the sun because at least the sun you can forecast easier. Well, it sounds like what people are looking for is one solution to, to fix a problem when there could be multiple. Because like you're saying, like, you know, the wind can blow at night and the sun's out during the day, you know? So using the two together could be helpful. Because I was thinking, like, when whenever it becomes available in our area, Kathy and I really want to uh, put a, a Tesla roof on our house because. Well, one, it's really useful, like, after hurricanes. Like, the tiles are supposed to be impact-resistant, I think, up to, like, 400 miles an hour or something. And so, like, after a hurricane, when the grid is down, I can still run power through my house. Because the Tesla roofs also use a Tesla battery, you know, for the house. Right. For somebody in Florida, that's a really great option when you're waiting two weeks for the power company to finally hook you back up to the grid. Yeah. No, I mean, it's that's... that's it's the same idea behind having emergency diesel generators. It's just your fuel source is the sun. So it's right in that instance, it's actually more reliable because getting <laughs> getting gas and diesel becomes a problem in a hurricane disaster zone. Right. And on top of the fact that, you know, with the battery system, that means when the sun goes down, you switch over to the battery. And depending on how you live, it should get you through the night. And that's the thing. I think the biggest problem with solar right now is it's inefficient. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, like, you just out of a whole roof, you're not going to get enough power. If you're going to run your AC at night, you're just not going to get enough power to use it. Right. Like, it, it might be able to keep, might, might be able to keep your fridge on because your fridge is typically the second thing that costs you the most amount of power. So it, I think these things, you know, they're really good ideas, but they're right now they're very oversold. 
because people think, oh, I'm going to make money off of this, or I'm going to save a ton, of, a ton of money off of this. And so far, the solar panel efficiencies don't work out. You're doing well if you break even. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that it could help lighten the load, though, on the grid. And so if everybody's lightening that load, then it becomes a little bit more efficient and a little less high stress on everyone on what to do and how to use it. You know what I'm saying? That's the idea. That also traces back to, uh, that causes reliability problems as well. The primary issue is it's the same as building a house with one contractor who can do all of the parts and pieces versus a guy who's subcontracting out to 100 people. Mm -hmm. So you have to have enough breadth of reliability in the system in order to run things in a distributed fashion. It's also inefficient. Okay, so in general, like larger machines are more efficient. (laughs) Sure. But the problem with trying to fund all that machinery is costing everybody else a ton of money. And in the process of that ton of money, we're losing that money in ways that we're like, this is kind of hinky. Yeah, in the the regulated places. Mm -hmm. I live in a deregulated area, so our company runs basically on the money we can make. (laughs) And then we reinvest as able kind of a deal. But how honestly do you reinvest it? Um, pretty honestly. But we were just talking about how they spend a bunch of money on guys who may have not have done their job right. Oh, you were just talking about it that way. Yeah. But see, in that case, it's our money. <laughs> like, that you got from me. And because there's a problem, you could end up charging me more because you decided not to fix the problem. And because it's not regulated, I have no recourse to make you guys do that. That's actually not correct. But the, it's because the you sign contracts. So the unless you sign a variable rate contract or some some guys do pass through where the person just pays whatever the rate is on the open market. If you sign a contract with a company that says you're, you know, it's six cents a kilowatt, then it's six cents a kilowatt, whether or not they produce it for more or less than that. Sometimes that works in their favor and sometimes it doesn't because of the problems with the company. But typically, don't you write in the contract that you change your rate whenever if mitigating circumstances happen? No, at least the contracts I've been under. And I have contracted both with my company and with other companies. What can screw you is the middleman company, which is the transmission company, which is not our company. Like the transmission company has a rider in there that can change depending on the transmission network. And you find that in all open markets. Like there's always the transmission company. And that that organization is still a regulated utility, effectively. Um, But that's not us, (laughs) if that makes sense. And this has been kind of the big deal at the plant I work at. We've had a lot of large-scale equipment go bad or not do well that we've had to take lots of outages for. And effectively, we're not that's not being charged through to the customer that's coming out of our company's pockets. If we were a regulated utility, it would more or less get passed through to the customer per the rate. But that rate gets negotiated every, like, five years, and so that's a voted-on thing. I don't know. Something about that math doesn't seem to add up because to say that because you're unregulated, you're going to be more honest doesn't seem right. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to be more honest. I'm saying like the contracts we provide, they lay out what the what the contract is. It, and it's up to the consumer whether or not they want to sign on to it or not. So the consumer can go pick other companies. That, that's the thing. That's the, the big thing about a deregulated market is the consumer has a choice of company and contract. Whereas in a regulated market, they don't. They're stuck with whatever company is the utility, and then the rate that is voted on is the rate they get. Uh, my brain's too tired right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a, it's kind of a crash course in the electrical economy, which is 
crazy. Well, that, and I don't pretend to be smart enough to argue my point well. The point I'm trying to make is, like, even if my company makes bad financial decisions, we can't pass those financial bad financial decisions on to the customer. Well, no, you can, and you eventually will. It'll just happen when they re-up the contract, because they're going to they're eventually have to rewrite contracts. That's ultimately their choice. If they want to, if the contract says, okay, our rates are not this anymore, they're this, do you want to sign up again? And they say yes, then... See, here's the thing. In, in your area, you have the options because you live in a fairly populated area. But you also live in a state where, you know, there's a lot of people in it. So say you're 30 minutes outside of Waco, Texas, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, how many options? really have oh yeah those people they they typically run under what are called co-ops and those operate like utilities <laughs> you're right on that one <laughs> and again it just like in a regulated state they don't really have a choice <laughs> but your particular case sure that works for you because you know you live in a populated area and there's more than one company in that area but... and i don't know exactly how the co-ops work but i think because if you're forced to be part of a co-op because of where you live that co-op gets regulated in the same way that a regulated utility would get regulated. So their rates are set by by some governing entity. Right. But yeah, I think because of that, they, they typically do get screwed, yes. <laughs> I think that's the general notion. <laughs> Which kind of my kind of goes back to my point about regulators not being super effective. But see, here's the thing, though. If they didn't have that regulation there, in those co-op situations, those companies can do whatever they want because the customer doesn't have an option. Right. And what I'm saying is... Like, even though they technically do have a regulator, I think the co-ops still get away with quite a bit. You just circle back around to the start of our conversation, which I'm not going right, to exactly. Right, exactly. Like, that's where we're at. Like, <laughs> that's effectively what I'm saying. We've worked our way all the way back around. <laughs> you know, I will say, it doesn't make sense, though, to have multiple companies trying to build multiple plants for 500 people out in the middle of nowhere. No, it doesn't. And that's why the co-ops <laughs> kind of handle all that stuff. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, Pat the Fat Man. Remember, we have a website, patthefatman.com. Head on over, leave a comment uh, in your various podcast media listening devices. Please review and rate our show. Let us know how we're doing. And if you feel like supporting us, head to Patreon, um, patthefatman.com. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been another episode. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man. Stay classy. Have a good one. Bye.